Welcome back. As promised, Katie and I are breaking down our personality tests. We're talking four temperaments, Meyer-Briggs, 16 personalities, Enneagrams, and Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. Woohoo! Welcome to the Imperfect Millennials, a weekly podcast by two perfectly imperfect millennial sisters. We talk about work, health, relationships, and spirituality. We hope that each week you're able to take away at least one tip or trick that will make your life a little better today. If you like what you hear, consider sharing with friends or writing a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Imperfect Millennials or send us an email at hello at theimperfectmillennials.com. So let's get started. So if you missed last week's episode, we highly recommend you go back and listen to it because Katie and I sort of discussed and broke down the pros and cons to these various personality tests. Yeah. A and, good That's a good starter. Yeah, it's a good introduction because today Katie and I are going to be going through these four tests, talking about how we ranked on them, what our results were, and sort of how we navigated that and sort of what our thoughts or feelings were on on the results. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the four tendencies first. Okay. Probably because it's the newest one yes. that I've taken, that you've taken. Um, you know, like probably Myers-Briggs we've all taken. We took 15 years ago mm-hmm. or whatever, right? But the four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin um, is is newer. And her whole thing is there are four tendencies, duh. Um, and the tendencies show basically... How you're going to get stuff done. Yes. Right? What's going to inspire you to do things. And that's all they are. Right? So they're not uh, indicators of jobs or anything like that, but more what motivates you to do things or not do things. Right? And so for her, there are four major tendencies. The upholder, the obliger, the rebel, and the questioner. Mm-hmm. And... My guess is when you heard those four, you probably like, oh, I really want to be X, Y, Z, whatever that is. Yeah. Right. Um, but take the test if you mm-hmm. haven't already to figure out what you really are um, and read through the descriptions, too, because this is the one that I think the test wasn't clear for me as to what I actually am. Which is interesting because I took this test. It popped out like 90 percent. You're this. And I was like, yep, thousand oh, percent. I am yeah. the rebel. Through and through, since I was very little, yep. that is my tendency to... My first reaction is no. Yeah. And the the rebel tendency is highly self-motivated and completely unmotivated by other people's expectations or desires for you in your life. Oh, for sure. Like, if someone wanted me to do something, it made me not want to do it. Which, right. which caused... A lot of problems in high school. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of problems forever. When Monica was really, really little, oh she didn't like wearing clothes as a tiny little child. I was very little, y'all. Very little. Very little, very little. And uh, she was constantly like, you just find her clothes like all over the house and she'd be outside. And so finally, in order to like <laughs> help this rebel child not be streaking down the street... Um, our mom went out and bought her like a dozen bathing suits and she literally spent the entire summer for at least two summers, if not more in swimsuits. Mm -hmm. Like she wore them so much. She had no tan lines. Yeah. Cause that was all my mom could convince her to wear. Yeah. Cause I think the rebel resists all expectations out, outer and sometimes inner. So from, 
And I, I know that because what this, what this one helped me like realize was sort of to like conceptualize why, like I had such a hard time sort of, or like why my first reaction was always no to everyone. Cause that's not what I, I didn't always want it. Or sometimes I was like, no, or so reluctant to do something. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Right. Like, no, I don't want to go do that program or no, I don't want to go try this. And then I'd, I'd be forced to, I'd get there and I'd be like, this is the best experience of my life. Mm-hmm. And I love this. And like, da, 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 da. So it's sort of, I think what it came down to is that like, I have a hard time with others. And when I impose something on myself, I'm not going to do it because society says I have to, or because that's what my parents expect of me, or that's because I have this weird standard for myself, mm-hmm. which makes uh, motivation and doing something difficult for me. Like and This is why I think it's so good to know your own tendency, mm-hmm. but also to know the tendencies of friends or, or your loved one or a spouse or whatever, because the way, if you read Gretchen Rubin's book, she talks about the way you ask the different tendencies to do something is very different. Yeah, for sure. Right? So like, for instance, um, the obliger, right, is somebody who meets outer expectations. So things that other people are requiring of them or asking them, but they really struggle to meet their inner expectations um, for themselves. And so if you are, let's say you're married to an obliger Mm. to say, I would really appreciate it if you would, you're setting an outer expectation for that person. Right. I need you to do this as opposed to like, don't you want to do this for yourself? So I'm thinking like weight loss, that's just a really easy example to use, right? Like, don't you want to lose weight so that you can keep up, keep up with the grandkids or keep up with your kids? Yeah. That's giving them an outer expectation of like other people need you to do this as opposed to, don't you want to lose weight so you feel better? Right, because they're like, I don't care about my... They're like that... They're putting others before themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the, the better you know other people or the better you know yourself, you know, it's it's even shifting that mindset. Like, if you're an obliger, then you shift that expectation of, like, I really want to lose weight because I want to feel better. Well, that narrative isn't helping you achieve that goal. So then you have to learn yourself and flip that and say, I want to lose weight because my kids need me. Right. To or, be healthy. like, I've seen obligers who do this who, okay, like, I really need to lose weight. Therefore, I'm going to post my journey on Instagram or on Facebook or yeah, I'm going to put it someplace where other people are going to hold me accountable. Yeah, for sure. Right. Or I'm going to join, like, I think this is why Weight Watchers is so effective because the majority of people, according to Gretchen Rubin, are obligers. In our society. And so I think things like Weight Watchers or even like Curves or even Orange Theory, right? Where Mm -hmm. like you go and you work out in a group environment and you're kind of obliged to be there because other people expect you to be there Mm -hmm. and you're trying to fulfill what other people's expectations. That's why it's so effective. That's so interesting because that just made me think like, I hate the gym. I'm an athlete. I played sports in college. Like, I, I love fitness. I love sports. I hate the gym. I'm not a gym rat. I hate going. Uh-huh. And I, it's funny. I like, I feel like I just had this insight of like, well, maybe one of the reasons I hate it is because like, there are these outer expectations right. of you when you go to the gym that I don't give a damn about. Like, right. I don't, I, it's not motivating to me. If anything, it makes me not want to do it. Right. Cause you're a rebel personality, yeah. right? A rebel tendency. Yeah, that's so yeah. So I think it's it's just a so very then, interesting way of you, looking at it. Are you an obliger since you're a big Orange Theory buff? So you know it's interesting. <laughs> so I when I take the test, it comes up as an obliger. But when I read the descriptions, I actually think I'm more of an upholder okay. with some serious obliger tendencies. Got it. Okay. So an upholder is somebody who responds really well to both inner and outer expectations. Mm-hmm. And this is a more rare um, type, according to Gretchen Rubin. Like fewer yeah. people are an upholder than the other three. Um, and I think, 
Yeah, I think I think I am an upholder in that like upholders are very rule oriented in that kind of sense. Like if it's a rule, I'm gonna follow it. Oh. Because I think it's important, but other people also think it's important. And so okay. because so therefore I'm gonna follow this rule. I was thinking um, you know, like when there are signs that's like don't enter, no trespassing, I have this friend who is definitely like more rebel personality and she'd be like, let's go explore. And I'm like, my God, no, we cannot, we cannot go in there. It's <laughs> just don't go in. Like I never, <laughs> never want to do that. I never want to do okay. those kind of things. Um, and I think that's very an upholder personality. And I think too, like this week, for instance, a friend of mine, um, ran one mile every hour for 24 hours. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. Oh, and totally unprompted. I was like, I want to do something similar. Okay. Whoa. I'm gonna try and do it during the normal waking hours. I'm not losing sleep over this, but like huh. I'm gonna do it during the normal waking hours. And I ran 14 miles, Oof. right? One mile Oof every time. hour Whoa. for 14 miles. 14 hours. Lord, um, that's that's an upholder tendency. Okay. In that, like, that was self motivated for me. Yes. I was like, and you did it, and I did it. Nobody was holding me accountable, right? Like, Dad was like why the heck are you doing this? Is this part of a training plan? I was like, right. no, it's not a training plan. Like, I just want to do it. Like, I just want yeah. to see if I can do it. Yeah. So that's why I think I'm more of an upholder because okay. I can push myself to do things or like, I tried being, um, I tried going meatless for two out of the three meals of my day in the month of January just because. Hmm. Like, I wanted to see if I could do it. That's so interesting. So I think that's why I'm an upholder. So in discovering that, has it helped you... Has it, has it changed anything? Um, n- <laughs> not necessarily. Cause I think what I do find very interesting is for the others, it's very clear then like what you need in order to achieve something. Okay. Um, but for this one, it's not as clear because like you can, you can push yourself to do it, but others could also push you to do it. And so it's a little bit like, uh, I don't know. Sometimes you're like, well, I don't know, so, but I'm pretty good yeah. at pushing myself to do things. Right, because you have that inner... Yeah. Like, it hits 8.30 at night, and I'm like, it's almost my bedtime because I, like, I need to push myself to do that, right? Right. right. Whereas, I don't know, the other tendency, the one that we haven't talked about yet, is a questioner. Um, And the questioners are people who, like, in their head, ask the questions and work it all out in their head. And so they're very self-motivated in the sense of, like, they're going to take a step back, they're going to think it all through, and then they're going to make a decision. Yes. Um, and so they're not very outer-motivated. Mm-hmm. They're very inner-motivated. Um, but they also don't like being questioned, which I think is hilarious that the questioners don't like being questioned. <laughs> but their thing is, like, since I'm so inner-motivated and I don't really care what you think... And I've already spent a ton of time thinking through what I'm going to do. How dare you question me on that? Because I know what's best for me. Yes. Which is just a very interesting thing, too. Yeah. Because I would say, I think I'm a rebel that tends towards a questioner. Like, Mm -hmm. because I'm neither externally nor internally motivated. Like, rebels tend to be more internally motivated than external. Mm -hmm. Right? But when the things that I care about, it's because, like, I have taken the time and decided for 100% that this is what I want. Right. And then I'll do it. But it's not, like, that's the question or tendency there. Right. But I think, for me, I think this sort of helped see, because I knew that, like, I knew that I've always, like, not really given two craps about what (laughs) other people say a lot or that, like, and I know that 
my first reaction is to say no to things mm-hmm. or to sort of buck the horse and so or expectations of me and so what I found difficult was that that I was also like resisting or rebelling against my own expectations mm-hmm. which is why like for me it's been very it's very difficult to follow a workout regimen or a diet or a, because I I'm like yeah it's good if I haven't decided one thing thousand mm-hmm. percent it's not going to happen and I will resist my own urge to do it which is a very frustrating aspect of my personality oh, see that's interesting and I think one of the things that I know about myself is like I can push myself really well to do something like going meatless for two out of three meals every day mm-hmm. right during the month of January like I can really push myself to do it but then like at the end of January I was like cool I did that and like I'd yeah, but it again. I, didn't, I didn't care to do it in February. <laughs> right. Like, it was more like, could I do this? Like, the oh, same with, like, like running challenge. 14 miles. Yes. Like, it was really cool. Do I ever plan to do it again? No. No, <laughs> probably not. Like, mm-hmm. I, I might come up with a different challenge I'm going to yeah. push myself to do. But, no. Do I see myself being like, yes, I want to do that again? No. Because once I know I can actually do it, I lose the motivation to actually do it. Okay. Which is a very interesting... Which I think is a little bit on the rebel side of things, too. Like, mm-hmm. once you know you can actually do it, you're like, meh, well, now I'm done. Yeah, well, the fun's out of it. Like, that's very true. I think for me, the helpful part of this one, of this quiz, was to sort of, um, it's funny, I actually took it with my parents. We were, like, oh. sitting around the table one night, like, talking about this stuff, and, um, like, when I got my results, I was like, oh, guys, I'm a rebel. And both of them just bust out laughing. And yeah. they're like, yep, like, that's been our life with you. Like, but I think it's helped me figure out that, um, that, that will, my first tendency will always be to say no mm-hmm. or to, or to fight the system. Mm-hmm. And that I need to, like, my reaction now is, I'll think about that and let you know. Yeah. Because if I, I've often, like, will say no right away or push back. And that's not always the best for me Mm -hmm. to do that. And so it's sort of been able to give, it's given me room to pause. Right. Um, and then it also helps me figure out like, how do I motivate myself or how do I actually achieve something that I really want? Because, um, that's, that's not innate in me to like fulfill that expectation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is really interesting. Like once you know these and then you can start looking back at various things, you know, and like, this is why I think I'm more of an upholder than an obliger because, like, in college even, right? Like, my dad was like, you cannot get a double piercing. If you do, I'm not paying for college. Oh. Right? Like, that's that's what you tell an obliger, which is yes. what our mother is, right? Like, that's what you tell an obliger. And then they're like, oh, okay. That's funny because, and so you didn't double pierce your ears. Oh, I did. I double pierced one. Oh. And I feel like that's very much, that's a little bit like the upholder side of things. Like, okay, I'm, like, self-motivated, but I'm others motivated too. So I'm, I'm going to pierce one. You said and I someone else is going to pay for it so that he can't say, like, you spent your money unwisely. Oh, my God. So I convinced a friend to pay for it for my birthday. Jeez Louise. Right? Like, it, it's just an interesting thing. And to me, that's a little bit, like, more of an upholder than an obliger. Because an obliger would not have done it. That's a rebel would have gone out and, like, triple pierced their ears. I straight up right? had a the questioner. same exact situation happen where um, our, our dad doesn't like a bunch of piercings. So he said no. I was in high school. He said no. I wasn't allowed to double pierce my ears. And so what did I do? I literally, instead of paying someone else to do it, went out to Sally's, bought the gun and everything myself. Not only did I double pierce my ears, I double pierced six other girls' ears <laughs> that I was at a camp with. So, like, their parents got involved. Like, I... Yeah. <laughs> whew, that's hilarious how we have the same 
event, but handle that so differently. Yeah, and I think that's, that's part of the tendency, right? And like, I'm sure if I had been more of an obliger, if I if I was a true and outright obliger, I would not have done it at all. I would have been like, oh, you're right. I'm I'm gonna wait mm-hmm. until I'm done with college and until I don't have to ask you permission. <laughs> right. That's so funny. But I was like, nah. So do you think these results that you got here match the four tendons or no that the four temperaments oh the thing is is i think they're very different right because the four tendencies are very much like why you do what you why you're going to make a decision or not make a decision okay right like what's going to motivate you to do something whereas the four temperaments are really more all-encompassing okay right they're not just about oh i made this decision and i made this decision or I didn't make this decision because um, of whatever, right? So the, they go together. Okay. I mean, sorry. They don't go together. They're different. They're analyzing different things. Yes. I sort of like that they... Because I think four temperaments is more aiming towards your personality. Whereas, right. like we said, the four tendencies aims more towards, um, like, uh, decision making. Choices. Exactly. And I think that, and that's why I think it can be good to take many of these kind of tests Mm -hmm. because four tendencies tell you like, okay, what's going to get you to do something or not get you to do something? And what's going to help you communicate with your child, right? (laughs) Who maybe you're an obliger and you're like, well, do this for me. And your child's a rebel and they're like, screw you. I don't want to do that. Right. Like you learn. And in Gretchen Rubin's book, she really does outline like, how you can talk to and get people, like, motivate people who are not your yes um, tendency to do things. Right. Um, and I think that, and not in a manipulative way, but especially for parents, I think, but even for, for spouses, I think it mm-hmm. can be really helpful. Yeah. Also to not abuse them or use them. Right. right. Like, if you're married to an obliger and you know they're going to say yes whenever you're like, well, could you please do this for me? Maybe you need to change the way you the ask way, it, or the way you wording it and say, yeah. hey, do you think, do you want to do this mm-hmm. to give them the freedom to be able to say yes or no? That's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. Um, so then why don't we shift over then to the four temperaments since I think um, they're not assessing the same thing, but I think they can complement each other because it's offering sort of this holistic or well-rounded uh, picture to things. So the four temperaments are sort of for personality types mm-hmm. is that sort of what we want to say i sure. guess for personality types um yeah i mean do you know a lot about these ones so i feel like these are i don't know like growing up these were like the very classic like these were the tests that we always took like in high school and stuff yeah, like that right and true. you've got your choleric your melancholic your sanguine and your phlegmatic um and I think there's a lot of differentiation that can happen in these four areas, right? Like the choleric is kind of that, that ruling kind of more dominant type. These tend to be like Trump, you know, like (laughs) Kanye West, uh, you know, like people like this who like have big personalities, um, Hitler, Joan of Arc, right? Like are very common ones that people say for that. Um, then you have like your melancholic, which tend to be more the avoiding type. These tend to be the more artsy, uh, like Van Gogh was probably a melancholic, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have your phlegmatics, which tend to be kind of like the getting type. They um, 
they're they're more even keel. They're pretty chill very often. A yeah, lot I like of phlegmatic s- people because I'm not. <laughs> so they're like, they're super chill. They're cool. Yeah, a lot of times teachers are this right, and oh, okay. um, you know, or, or accountants, people who just need to be kind of like mellow, slow and steady. Yeah. You know, like consistent that yeah, kind of thing. Sure. And then you have your sanguines, which are. The social butterflies, basically, right. right? They're the the actors, the salesmen, yeah. the these kind of things that you can talk to anybody in the room and get them to talk back to you, and yeah, you for know. Sure. So those are the those are the four. Um, and I think you mentioned in last week's episode, but these this this changed for you when you took it in yeah. high school versus now. So I think um, when I took it in high school, I was probably. 98% melancholic, <laughs> right? And so some of the strengths of melancholic are things like thoughtful, considerate, cautious, organized, an excessive planner, schedule-oriented, detailed, right? Like, yikes. Highly creative. Like, this is me, right? Okay. To a T. Weaknesses, um, too cautious, hmm. perfectionist, yeah. difficult yep. to please, um, a oh. person with tunnel vision, sometimes a procrastinator, but not always, right? Yeah. Um, that was definitely me as a child when I was much shyer, wasn't okay. really sure of myself, that kind of thing. But now I'm probably a pretty even 50-50 split between choleric and melancholic, right? So the choleric strengths are things like ambitious, passionate, focused, efficient, good at planning, weaknesses, mm. aggressive, domineering, impatient, um, argumentative. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm some of those things. Right. And some of those things in some situations. Yes. And then not them in others. Well, and I think part of it probably came from um, growing up and this and this ability of, like, knowing yourself more and, like, kn- learning your weaknesses and how to combat that. So, like, you know, you had to learn how to be more assertive. Right. Or more, I mean, domineering sounds like a negative thing. It doesn't right, have right. to be necessarily yeah. if you're fine. Like, so you're sort of able to take those negatives of a sanguine and turn it into the positives of a caloric or right. A melancholic. Melancholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think, and I mean, maybe I was both as a kid and just one was more dominant and For now sure. I'm, I mean, I'm definitely still both and maybe the choleric is a little bit more dominant. I mm-hmm. also think too, for me, a lot of it depends on the situation. Okay, yeah. Right? If it's a new situation that I'm being put in, like if I'm going to a networking event that I don't know anybody, or when I start a new job, yeah. right? I am, like, 100% melancholic. Right. I'm, like, the one in the corner on their phone, like, yeah. doo, doo, doo. Well, because I think that, like, that is... That's where the tendencies and the temperaments come from. Like, a tendency is what you lean and, towards right. or tend to do a temperament is something that has it's different from a personality it's been there since birth right and you know your parents are like oh you've always been since we knew since the day you were born that right and, and so yeah. when you're in a situation like the dominant one is going to come out that t- that first temperament is going to come out even if you've been able to navigate um different personality types or different you know attributes from these other categories in maybe an like an unpredictable situation or whatever it may be, yeah. that core tendency or that core temperament's gonna surface. Well, and for me, what I find really interesting with this is in situations in which I am more comfortable, um, so like with people that I love, right, or people that I trust, or people I know well, or situations in which I'm 
I feel more confident, I'm definitely more choleric, mm. right? Like at our dinner table, for instance, I'm not the one who's like quietly sitting there and no. letting everyone else talk around me, right? Mm. Like I am equally as loud as everybody else, right? Right? Or I think of like when I started teaching, right? When I started teaching, I was definitely quieter, right? Okay. I had a hard time speaking up in staff meetings. Yeah. And then as I like got more confident and more comfortable yes. in that environment and in that situation, I definitely tended more towards the cleric where I would be like, no, we shouldn't be doing it this way. Right. Right. Or even to the students, I'd be like, no, you're failing. And yeah. Um, you're, you're failing. So I got, like, sorry. Truth. Yeah. Right. Um, but then like in parent teacher conferences, right. Like that's really hard for me. So I tend towards the more melancholic yeah. where I'm like, sorry. Your daughter's not doing great. That's or your daughter's funny. doing awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's true. I think when I was in high school, I tested very high in the caloric. Is that how you say it? Yeah. The caloric one. Um, and part of it, I think, looking back now, is that when I, like, took these things, when you were taking, like, the PSAT and you also took these, like, personality yeah. things, I think the rebel in me was coming out of, like, being, like, I want to be the person oh, that yeah. is, a, like, aggressive or bucking the rules or, like not following system or order and da 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 um, Well, and this is a good point. We, we didn't talk about last week, but when you fill out these tests, you don't want to fill them out according to what you want to be. Yes. You have to really fill them out according to what you actually do. Right. What you, how you actually react. Yes. And so now I think taking it, I'm far more sanguine and I have a little bit of caloric tendencies. Yeah. And the sanguine things are like sociable, charismatic, outgoing, confident, pleasant, lively, optimistic, a fun lover, spontaneous, a preventer of dull moments. I like that. (laughs) Weaknesses, impulsive, chronically late. That's true. Shameless, forgetful, a compulsive talker, too loud. Distractible, right? Okay. Those okay. Kind of <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's the truth of the matter. And then, you know, like, the same, I think I have the similar, like, caloric tendencies that you do, but, like, mm-hmm. the predominant one, you know. So, I think that is something to keep in mind as you're taking these that, like, A, they can change over time as you're growing and developing, and B, sort of actually answering truthfully for how you act, which is why I think, and we recommended this in the last one, but episode, but to sort of have someone else there with you because yeah. sometimes you're like, I don't know. Do I do this? I think I do this. Like, one of the questions I think was, like, you know, people would say you're X, Y, Z. And I was like, well, I hope people would say that. Like, I don't actually know if they would. Like, how no, do I know what other people no are saying about No one's ever said me? any of this to no me. No one said it to my face. Like, I yeah. don't know. Um, so they can be sort of tricky to navigate, I think. Yeah. But in general, these are sort of... I yeah. think these, to be honest, were sort of, like, the... I don't know. I want to say like the, the, OGs. the OGs. Oh my God. That's <laughs> hilarious. The OGs. Right. Cause then I think from this, you have Myers Briggs and Enneagram sort of becoming yeah. like really, uh, pop psychology, very popular. Yeah. Uh, more people I think take Meyer Briggs and Enneagram than they do the, their temperaments. the temperaments. Yeah. Um, cause I think Meyer Briggs and Enneagram do a deeper dive. Yeah. Before we jump there, I just want to read out some of the strengths and weaknesses of the phlegmatic, since we're, oh, we're yeah, none we're of those, not, we're but we don't want to leave you guys in the dust. So, strengths for a phlegmatic. Relaxed, quiet and calm, content with themselves, kind, consistent, a steady and faithful friend, accepting, affectionate. Weaknesses, sometimes shy, fearful of change, prone to laziness, stubborn, passive-aggressive, indecisive, permissive, not goal-oriented, unenthusiastic, right? So, I will say, yeah. I... Um... One of my best friends, I lived with her in Boston. She is phlegmatic. Totally. And um, it really threw me because I had never lived with a phlegmatic person before. And I was like, 
she was so chill about everything and I was so not that I was like, there's no way that she doesn't secretly hate me or secretly <laughs> resent that I like didn't finish a project or secret, you know, but she was so chill. And like, I learned so much from her yeah. in like mellowing out or in so, like just taking a different perspective. Right. And so like we balance each other really well. And so I would say that like, you know, a lot of these personalities and these temperaments can balance each other really well and we can learn so much from each other because I do think mm-hmm. like these negative aspects or these seen as sort of weaker aspects of each of these personality types, another personality type can help us grow. Like right. the really outgoing one can help, like sanguine can really help the phlegmatic mm-hmm. and not being so, um, what did you say? Like introvert, not introverted, but like passive aggressive passive or, or right. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And so there's this, a, uh, opportunity to sort of like learn from each other and compliment and Mm -hmm. that's that's the growth part in in these personalities yeah and I think too like knowing again knowing the the temperament of your best friend or Mm -hmm. a colleague or a spouse right um can really help you like love them better you know like I have a friend who's a who's a phlegmatic and I can never tell when she's upset yeah, and like you very... know, you know when I'm upset. Like it's, it's very clear when I'm upset, right? Yes. And like you, and I have no idea. Yes. And I, she got super stressed out once, and I had, I had no clue, yep. no clue, yep. Yep. right? And so like, if you're friends with a phlegmatic, like you gotta ask them, yeah, you gotta like how attention. are you doing, yeah, right? Whereas like a Claire's gonna tell you like I'm going crazy right now, like oh I want to <laughs> kill somebody, right, or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, we gotta work it. No, I think that for way. sure. I think that's great. Um, so sort of segueing over into Meyer Briggs, um, I think this one does a deeper dive and ha- leaves a little more room for the nuance of, like, the human person because you there's not four types that you can be. There's like sixteen, 16. different combos. Um, I I think I said this in the last episode. Meyer Briggs used to like frustrate me because <laughs> like as a psychologist, like this is not how it was designed right. and created. Yeah like to take like 25 questions online and like this is going to tell you everything and like you're going to interpret your own results but I still think there's benefit to it Mm -hmm. I still think I don't think it's the be all end all I think there's benefit to it and I also believe that it can change and I also believe that there are like if you think of it as like a spectrum sort of and I think we talked about this in one of our other episodes sort of this like um that balance between like what is like virtue or like being the best version mm. of yourself mm-hmm. and that it's actually you're you might be so far to the right and you aim really far to the left and you land in the middle and that's mm-hmm. and I think these personality types are very much like that as well right yeah exactly yeah and I think I, I get the I actually have the hardest time with the Myers-Briggs because I look okay. at some of the things and I'm like oh, I don't know I'm that but like oh, I'm also that like oh, and like I have a harder time with this one yeah um because I like, taking the test, I am an ISTJ. So tell us about that one. Um, so if you use the 16 personalities website, um, they call that the logist, logist, I cannot say that word. <laughs> Logistician? Logistician. Like, you're, like, logical? Yeah, but, like, there is one that's called, there's one that's logical. There's logist- a logician and a logistician. That's a mouthful. But anyway, I'm the one that's harder to say. Um, (laughs) Okay. But those are, so I is obviously for introverted, right? X, I mean, S is for um, sensing. The J is for judging. The T, what's the T again? Thinking. Oh, thinking. (laughs) 
Thinking uh, versus feeling. Right. Thinking versus feeling. So I definitely, like some of them are very clear, right? Like I'm very clearly an I. Mm. I'm introverted, right? Yes. I am very clearly a T. I'm not a feeler. I don't know what my emotions are, but I'm a thinker. I overthink everything, right? Like that's really clear. But the the S and the J are the ones that I'm like, nah, I don't know. Like maybe I'm one, maybe I'm the other. Mm-hmm. What were you, Mona? Oh, I'm an ENTJ. That's the commander. <laughs> Not hard to say. Very straightforward. Um, and that's sort of like exactly how it sounds. It's just this very like executive, like natural born leader kind of like happiness lies in the joy of achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, very much 100% like very, yes, accurate to like who I am um, and what I tend to lean towards. Although I will say that, um, I think honestly, like it's a spectrum when you test, I've tested extroverted, but I'm not 100% extrovert. Sure. So all of these combinations are on a spectrum where like introverts on one side, extrovert is on the other. Where do you fall on the scale? Right. Right. Um, you know, thinking versus feeling is a spectrum. And I will say that like the difference in judging and prospecting or perceiving, right? I was pretty far on the judging side. And then when I finished up, you know, I think the judging is like, this is the way things should be. And I think once I wrapped up my master's program, I was more on like the figuring things out as we go. Oh. <laughs> you know, so like life can change Life, life can change where, where you fall in these spectrums, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, for me, the ISTJ, right, like, they describe that as, like, these people tend to be reserved yet willful with a rational outlook on life. And that's totally me. Like, I tend to be more reserved unless I, like, know you really, really well. But, like, I also know what I want and what I don't want. Right. In most things. Right? And so, like, I can make that very clear. Right. Um, yeah. And I think the... The tricky part about Meyer Briggs is that like, uh, I the you have to do a, a deeper dive into like what these words actually mean, mm-hmm. and like extroverted versus introverted does not mean you're the life of the party or you're you're a wallflower. That's actually not what those two words mean. So, uh, it's where you get your energy and where you feel like rejuvenated. So when you're exhausted, are you like I need to go to my room, play some soft music, not really see anybody right now, or you're like I need to go talk to a friend, or yes, I need, I'm exhausted, but like oh my gosh, if I if I go out to dinner with a bunch of people, I'll feel so much better. That's where that comes from. And then the same with you know all the other letters here. Judging doesn't mean you're a judgmental person sitting there criticizing everybody. Right. Right. So I think that can sort of be the perception. So again, when you take these personality tests, you sort of have to do a deeper dive and not just take your results for what they are, but read into that. Like read, I read into like the E and T J and each of those, like what is intuitive? What does that mean? Right. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I, like I said, I have a harder time with this. Cause I have a harder time knowing for sure. Like I also think I'm an I N I N T J. Right. So, um, just me, but introvert. Yeah, because these people, right, are, they describe them as these thoughtful tech, I cannot speak today. Anyway, love perfecting the details of life, applying creativity and rationality to everything they do. Their inner world is often private and a complex one. And I think that one also really describes me very well. Mm -hmm. So I I go back and forth, honestly, between INTJ and ISTJ, um, because I think 
some of the descriptors and strengths and weaknesses of both describe me. And again, I think this goes back to what we were talking about before. Like, you don't have to box yourself in and be like, well, I'm an INTJ. And if I didn't act like an INTJ, then like, I must've done something wrong. Like, okay. (laughs) These are 16 personalities that are trying to define the entire world. You don't have to just pop yourself in that little box and think I have to always act or react in a certain way. And if I'm not, there's something wrong with me or whatever. Well, cause I also think that when, okay, this is speaking from personal experience on like dating websites, <laughs> when you take some of these personality things or people put that in their profile of like, I'm a this or I'm a that I'm already coming to these conclusions, these assumptions, these judgments about who you are, or how you behave or how you act because of that information that I've been given. Whereas, you know, I'm pretty sure if someone looked up an ENTJ, they would be like, oh my God, I'm going to date Hitler. <laughs> like, no, thank you. And so I think because the human person is so much more complex right. than that, yeah. I think we run the risk of, of keeping people in boxes or right. judging them based off of that when really... It's so nuanced because I think it's not like you look at this and you're like, oh, I'm an ENTJ, but then like break down the percentages of where you fall. I mean, you could honestly, Katie, be like a 50-50 split between a P and a J or like 49-51. Like really, I mean, like the J is going to come up more because it's 51% versus 49%. Right, exactly. And I think, yeah, that's... That's the tricky thing with all of these that like, and again, I think it's helpful because you can read through them and be like, oh, okay. Like I do this or I don't do this. Yes. And here's a strength that I actually do have in this area yeah. and here's a weakness. And and then just know how to adjust, right? right? Or, or, or how to act in a certain way. It doesn't mean like, oh, I don't have the strength, therefore whatever. No, yeah. like. Right. Or my personality type isn't that to a leader. So therefore maybe like I, I can't lead in that way or I can't, of, of course you can. Um, of course you can adjust and, and really achieve the things that you want. If that's a goal and a dream of yours, you mm-hmm. just, what it does is it gives you the opportunity to take a critical look at how you tested and where to go from there. So yeah. if you're, if maybe your, uh, personality type isn't a naturally born leader, that doesn't mean that you cannot become a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that you cannot become maybe what you've always dreamed of being um, and that you're like, well, we just have to leave, you know, the leadership to the, to the ENTJs and the ENTPs because (laughs) that's what they do best. Like, you know, I mean, adjustment, there's room for. As we sit here and I'm scrolling through the 16 personalities (laughs) website, I'm like, I think I'm more of an architect than a logistician. Like I was saying in the beginning, just because, you know, but again, Anyway, I think a lot of it depends on where you are in life, what you're doing. Like, there's so many different things. And maybe I was more one. I think for a lot of these things, I was more one before therapy and more one now after. (laughs) Yeah, because, well, because you grow. And so, like, maybe, because I think I verge between an ENTJ and an ENTP, which is, like, the commander versus the debater. And um, I think maybe when I'm not my best self, I'm more of like an ENTJ. And when I am maybe more of my better self, I am an ENTP. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of, it's that spectrum of working on yourself and Mm -hmm. sort of being able to adjust. And, Mm -hmm. and some people would argue that I'm speaking total garbage right now because these are, no, no, no. But like some people are like, but this is how you were born and this is your personality and this is what you are. Right. And they take away the room of, of growth and change. Um, cause there are people who believe that people don't change and that they are who they are and that like, this is the card you've been dealt and you need to play according to those cards. 
I disagree with right. that. I think that for some of these things, you can change and life can change you. Right. And yeah. And I think too, again, like boxing and when we, a couple of months ago, I started looking into the Enneagram, which we'll talk about next. But then I was curious, can you connect the types? There are nine types in the Enneagram. Can you connect the types to the Myers-Briggs? And when I looked it up, it was very interesting because my, what I test in Myers-Briggs, whether I am the architect or the logistician, um, is not what I come up with for Enneagram. So do you, that's funny because my Enneagram and my Myers-Briggs are the same. They're, they're, uh, <laughs> Maybe I just don't know myself well. I don't <laughs> no, know. No, no, but... but like, I, I think that that can also be chalked up to like the way they ask questions oh, and for how sure. we read those questions. Um, you know, cause I could read a question and perceive it one way and you could be like, what the heck do you mean by that? And answer right. it completely differently. And so do you, what do you think is more accurate to like your perception of self, the Enneagram or the Meyer, Myers-Briggs? Oh, um, you know, it's funny when I did the Enneagram and I came up, I'm a type three for the Enneagram, um, which is, it depends on the website you come across, but it's either the achiever or the performer. Mm-hmm. And when I read those, I was like, dang, this is me. Okay. Like, very, very clearly. And I yes. wasn't like, mm, maybe I'm... Because I also feel as though the Enneagram is more accurate. Huh. That's kind of interesting because it's there are less categories. Yes. Right? Like, Myers-Briggs has 16 categories. Enneagram has nine. Um, but, but I do think but an Enne- I think an Enneagram has kind of an infinite number combination. Because mm-hmm. you can have different wings and then different growth and strength points yeah. in the Enneagram. So, like, I'm an eight. Um... Which is, what is it? The protector? Well, it depends on what website you go to, but. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's, again, that very similar of, like, the commander or the challenger personality. Um, what I like about Enneagram that I think is very different from the other ones, and I honestly think we could have an entire episode on Enneagrams because, mm-hmm. like, it's, it is very nuanced. What I like is that it talks about, similar to... Um, the four tendencies, the Enneagram encompasses your personality, but also the motivation behind why you make certain decisions, Mm -hmm. um, or why you act or behave the way you do. And so I really, I guess I didn't look at it from that perspective until I read this and I was like, wait a minute. And I looked back at, you know, failed relationships Mm -hmm. or choices that I made and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, that fear motivation is underlying in each of those things. And I, I had not previously connected those. Yeah. Things. No, it's true. And I think, yeah, like for me, so I'm at Enneagram three and like various websites you come across, but tendencies for that tend to be things like seeks validation and acceptance through success. Definitely. Fear of being unworthy and unloved. For sure. That's me. Right. Mm. Um, adaptable and high energy. Yeah. Regularly set and accomplished goals. Yep. That's me. Right. But if I look at what the Enneagram is for the INTJ, it's a five, uh, type five and a type five is, um, the thinker. And those personality things are seeks knowledge and deeper understanding. Uh, sometimes. Prefer spending time by themselves. That's true. That is me. Um, fears being useless. I don't fear being useless hmm. at all. 
Um, guards themselves and their emotions. Curious and observant in new environments. Yes-ish, but like strengths, right? Thinking through complex problems. Observing the details of their environment. Constantly learning and picking up new skills. Not really. Ability <laughs> <laughs> no. to remain calm in a crisis. I mean, I guess. I don't really know. Um, but anyway, so it's just... I just don't feel yes. like that really is me. Well, and I think... The test doesn't either. For my Enneagram, I think it did a good job of blending, like, the ENTJ and the ENTP and a couple of other ones that I was like, I think I have a little bit of this and a little bit of that, right? Because it says that, like... It basically comes down to, like, what is your basic desire and what is your basic fear? Mm-hmm. And so for a type 8, the basic desire is to protect themselves and to remain in control of their own lives. <laughs> yeah. And their their fear, their biggest fear is being controlled or hurt by others, which would suggest, I mean, to everyone who's listening, why, like, sometimes I, like, in the past have really struggled with or not even wanted to date. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, don't need that noise in my life like that to because to me it felt like the ultimate trap right because that only not only and I guess I didn't even think of it in in this regard but like it's harder to protect yourself when you give other people Mm -hmm. an inside seat to your life and you're no longer 100 when it's not just you you're no longer 100% in control and so you you have to be vulnerable and give an, an, another person an opportunity to potentially hurt you. Right. And I was like, nope, uh, don't need that noise in my nope, life. Not doing that. You know. So it is really good to sit back and to look at that and to be like, whoa. Because then when I do have those insecurities or those fears, I can take a step back and be like, okay, do I not want to go on a date with him because mm. I don't like him, or is this a fear response? Mm-hmm. And then if it's a fear response. Because I'm afraid that he's going to, like, be controlling or that I'm going to get hurt or that I'm going to lose control. Like, is there evidence to support that? No. Go on the date and stop being ridiculous. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's the beauty of kind of knowing, right, your your personality, right? And the things that drive you, right, the things that you desire, the things that you fear, and then being able to look at that and being able to take a step back and look at various situations and be like, oh, okay, like, is this valid or is this, is this part of these things that I fear? You know, like for me, um, like working for instance, like in the working world, like I have a really hard time when people like question, right. What Mm. I've done. Right. Or, well, why? Because one of my basic desires as a type three is to feel valuable and worthwhile. Right. And so if you're questioning, Mm-hmm. my role, right? Or the yeah. job that I'm doing. Yeah. Well, my basic desire to feel valuable is not being met, right? And what's my basic fear of being worthless, right? That like... Right, right. Oh, okay, so this job that I'm doing isn't isn't helping you do what you want? Oh, then I'm, I'm not doing a good enough job. Right. Right? So I think that's... Yeah. I actually... One of my best friends is super, super into these, and yeah. she... I mean, we should bring her on to sort of talk about them because she's read a bunch of books and, like, walks people through figuring this test and figuring it out. And so, um, and just sort of being able to, like, navigate, like, what do these mean? Because also in an Enneagram, you have wings. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, I'm an eight with a a seven wing. (laughs) So, like, you sort of have to, like... they have obviously all these, like, cute names for it. Like, an eight with a wing of a seven is, like, a maverick. <laughs> and they're very ambitious and they're interested in, you know, accumulating, like, a lot of resources. And, um, yeah, like, they're very, 
their desires can be, like, very aggressive and they're very, like, goal-oriented. Mm-hmm. So, it's sort of, like, what I like about this is that it takes, like, this is your predominant type. You are, like, most likely an eight, da 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 But then, like, we also have these underlying... Right. Traits that are that Enneagram calls your wings. So then you can like do a deeper dive into like, okay, well, like I have a wing of a seven and like this is what it means. And then right. you also have, um, you know, this these other aspects, these other numbers that contribute to the personality type that help you grow or right. help you or or hurt you in right. many ways of like this isn't the best version of yourself and this is what it's going to look like and this is the best version of yourself and right. here's what this looks like. Yeah, and like so for me, I'm a an Enneagram three wing two and the twos are the helpers kind mm. of like the servant yes. category. And it's very interesting because that when I first took the test and went and looked, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm a two or a three. Um, because I do tend to like, if, if a friend's like, Oh, I need help with this. Like I'm very quick to drop everything Something and go and help. And help right. Them. Um, and so I was like, I don't know, but like, I definitely am a three as my major thing, but part of, being a three is also helping people. Yeah. Because that's part of feeling worthy. Yeah, exactly. Right? Is that kind of a thing. And so I think, yeah, so for me, like, I'm the three wing too. And I think we're definitely going to do another episode on the Enneagram in and of itself because I think that's sort of the most recent up and coming one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we obviously did not have enough time to do it justice or to really dive in. Um, but to sort of wrap up, Katie, what would be a takeaway for our listeners today? I think the... To me, the main takeaway is take all these tests, Mm -hmm. learn about yourself, but don't cage yourself in. Yeah. I would second that. Yeah. Notion that, you know, take these with a grain of salt and, you know, the the negative aspects look to improve and the positive aspects um, look to, to strengthen. And so, you know know yourself better and yeah. be true to that. Yeah. To me, these are only worth doing if you're going to use it to be more authentically you. Mm. Right. Like and that. if you're going to use that, if you're going to use these to really flourish as who you're meant to be, these are worthwhile. If these Preach. cause you more anxiety or more stress or, or to perpetuate or perpetuate shitty behavior. <laughs> yeah. Perpetuate shitty behavior or perpetuate stereotypes or whatever it happens to be, then toss them aside and don't pay any attention to them. Yes. But if they help you, realize strengths and weaknesses that you have so that you can fully flourish, go all out. I love that. And wrapping up, trust the process. And remember, we're thriving, not just surviving. Imperfectly yours. Katie. And Mona.